0: Well, hello, podheads. That's right, podheads. P-O-D. Podheads, P-O-D, pod heads, not potheads. Potheads are those five hundred and twenty-five pound guys that have dropped out of school, dropped out of college, dropped out of the job, moved into their mama's basement to smoke pot and have candy and have pleasure, and every once in a while. A massive jar of Cheetos. That's not us. We are the pod heads. That's right. You see us. We've got our earphones in our ears, disconnected from the world for certain segments of the day to get some good info in our heads. That's right. We're loyal. We're intellectual. We're affluent. We're educated. We've got careers. We love our wives, we love our husbands, we love our children, we love our God, we love our Bible, and we love church, so greetings to all of you podheads, and welcome back to another podcast with your host, Justin C. Gleason. Everyone, I got to tell you, I am worried about doubt. Creeping into the church, creeping into the minds and hearts of individuals. It's, it's sort of like Thomas, you know, everybody else got to see Jesus, but him. And it was because he was out. He was out doing something the day that the Lord was resurrected. He should have stayed inside in the locked room with all of the apostles, but he said he had to go out. And because he was out, not where he should have been with the with the apostles, he missed the appearance of Jesus. He missed the appearance of Jesus and he came back and they said, we saw the Lord. He appeared to us and he said, I'm not going to believe it or, or uh, I'm not going to believe that it's real until I see it and I touch it, touch the Lord. And I think we're, we're that way. We're like, you know what? We're not going to believe it until we can see it and touch it. It seems like everybody else, you know, is kind of moving forward and everybody else is getting through this. But some of us are still on lockdown Some of us are still under heavy mandates. Some of us are still restricted. And why does everybody else seem like they're able to uh, reopen and regather and recover their church? Well, I'm here to minister to you today. Don't doubt. Believe it. It can happen. And if you truly do, yes, the Lord will appear. Yes, revival will come again. One that you can see and one that you can touch. But you know good and well that things are just going to have to change. They certainly are. They are. But I know it. Uncertainty and having to distance yourself from normal. It can cause stress. It can cause unbelief. And it can cause some serious, serious, serious doubt. Welcome back. I'm Justin C. Gleason, your host. Podcasting is the greatest. I just love I, I just love talking about what I see and what I feel. And I love, I love my listeners. I don't know how to explain it, but when I turn on this this microphone, gets this equipment going, it's like you all are here with me. I I never feel alone uh, when I do this, and I love this audience. And I prayed for you all this morning. Some of you I know by name that have reached out and contacted me, and we are truly going to get through this. And today's episode, I've got some ideas on how to change and adjust in ways that you can uh, bring revival back to your church, bring the church back, and bring uh, new disciples back. Amen. So, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Please consider subscribing, becoming a loyal listener. We uh, certainly welcome all of our brand-new listeners. Uh, The word is getting out about this podcast, and we're growing on a weekly basis, and we thank you so much for your loyalty so, yeah, go back, listen to our past episodes. Be sure to check back here for our new episodes. We generally uh, generally upload on Fridays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow me also, if you like, on social media, Justin C. Gleason, Facebook pages, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also contact me at jg at gmail.com. Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason can be listened to on apple podcast spotify google podcast the epic truth radio app and many many more podcasting is the here and now and if you make it you're here and now you can be sure that it is the future The COVID-19 restrictions, the mandates, the this, the that has made us all wonder, will we ever see normal again? And the normal I'm talking about is church. It's, it's your church. A common schedule that you see on church signs, at least in the uh, Jesus' name, Spirit-filled church is, and let's just talk about Sundays, not not things that happen through, throughout the week, but just Sundays. You see this: nine thirty a.m. prayer, ten a.m. Sunday school, eleven a.m. church, and then it's not on the sign, but everybody knows it. Twelve thirty p.m. a cafeteria lunch. That's right. Everybody leaves that church, and I mean, uh, they run like zoo animals to get that cafeteria lunch, which actually sounds really good. Mm. Cafeteria roast beef and gravy is wonderful. Well, then after that, you have a nap at about 2 p.m. Then you get up and you get back to church for choir practice at 4.30 p.m. Then at 5.30 p.m. you have prayer, and then 6 p.m. you have church. And then at 9 p.m. you're back at the pizza buffet. That is a common church schedule we did that for years at our church 9 a.m 9 30 a.m prayer 10 a.m sunday school 11 a.m church the cafeteria lunch 2 p.m nap 4 30 p.m choir practice 5 30 p.m prayer 6 p.m church and then and then you head over to the pizza buffet i mean, <laughs> and i what how do you feel when you when you hear that uh, some of you probably say uh i yeah our church did that uh, i do not miss that nope not going back to that now, going back to that, we changed it. Uh, some of you are saying, oh, man, I <laughs> I missed that. I want that. I missed that schedule. I want my Sunday schedule back. And then some of you are saying, wait a minute, we're still on that schedule. We haven't changed a thing. <laughs> and then some of you have probably got uh, some other mixed emotion uh, about that. Well, I, I want to ask you a question. Is that schedule the best right now for growth with this COVID-19 pandemic? a.m. prayer, 10 a.m. Sunday school, 11 a.m. church, 4.30 choir practice, 5.30 prayer, 6 p.m. church. Is that the best for growth or is it better for just kind of maintaining a certain number of people? I think that's really good for maintaining a certain number of people. You know, us 75 and no more. That's just very, very common out there. And one of the things that COVID had to do was it caused us to have less church. And maybe perhaps, I'm going to say it, maybe perhaps having less church is the pathway to revival. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, no, less church. That's what the Bible teaches us. Church, 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 have church, have church, have church, have church, seven days a week, 27 times a week, have church, church, church. Well, I mean, it's you look at the first day of the week's schedule. In the book of Acts, you know, when they gathered, it was actually on Saturday nights, not really Sunday mornings. Saturday nights. That's right. Days went from evening to morning, not midnight to midnight like us. They would gather together in the evenings on Saturday night, and then just as the church moved westward, a lot of it became, you know, the sunrise thing. You know, because the Greeks and the Romans they would get up and and worship the sun on Sunday and the. And the moon on Monday, you know, all of that. So it's as the sun was coming up. Instead of worshiping the sun, they worship the true Son of God, and which is fine. And I I worship God typically on Sunday mornings. Every once in a while, we'll have a Saturday night church service. But yeah, our our schedules have had to change. You know, a lot of us went to a nine a.m. and eleven a.m. We had to have multiple services just to accommodate these new mandates for building occupancy to control this pandemic. And some of us are like, oh. you know, I, get, I can hear right now the worship team is like, yes, I hate it. I want to go back to the schedule we had. Well, you know, what is more structured for growth? A jam-packed full Sunday of this and that to keep 75 people happy or rather go to multiple services So you can jump to 750 in just a few years. That's right. I think COVID-19 has really done something to help us rethink in just our worship schedule. To make it more open to grow. That's right. And we need to grow. We need to have revival. Just focusing on maintaining alone will not get you to fulfill the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ and I think multiple church services they are the future. This the changes that had to happen in the church. I mean, it some people just flipped out over it. There are still people out there that believe their pastor is, you know, in cahoots with the government, you know, to mandate masks and control and the socialist new world order is about to, you know, come into play. I mean, you got people, they walk into church and they see the hand sanitizers and they're like, oh, this ain't the church for me. This, this, this is a governmental oppression. You know, they see the mask. Ah, this is governmental oppression. I'm out of here. You know, and they're like, I'm going to go have church in the woods. Really? Uh, (laughs) you can have church in the woods. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Jesus died for the trees too. Are you laying hands on the trees to receive the Holy ghost? Are you, (laughs) you know? Are you shaking the trees' hands? Are you truly having fellowship with the trees, man? I just love the trees, and I know yesterday was Earth Day. God bless it. You know, Earth Day was created by a, a communist wacko. Yeah, look it up. That's why I really don't celebrate Earth Day. I just uh, love to look at Earth, uh, uh, and that's kind of how <laughs> that's kind of how I leave it. But it was nice to see pictures of the Earth. It was nice to see pictures of the earth because lately all I've been seeing is pictures of bums and thugs and a transgender people. <laughs> it was nice just to see mountains in social media. It was nice to see rivers and streams and oceans and deserts. So, uh, God, thank you for creating earth. Thank you for making earth. The six days of creation and that seventh day of rest. Absolutely wonderful. But yet people have walked away from church just because of change. And a lot of it is just because of an upset schedule. They're like, I, I can't serve for God if I can't have nine thirty prayer. I, I can't live for God. God's not real anymore. My schedule has changed. You, you know, I miss my Sunday night. You know, Sunday morning I come in looking all churchy. Then Sunday night I shake my hair down. Bless God. Well, I can't do that anymore. God's not real. I I don't have bobby pins flying out of my hair on Sunday nights. I can't do. I can't. I can't shout anymore. You tell me that. I, I mean, all kinds of excuses, and I was looking at a pitch, uh, some pictures the other day of early 2020, like January and February, looking at pictures, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I counted. There was 30% of the people in those pictures that have backslid. 30%. And you probably can see that too right now. Just look at pictures in your social media, pictures of your church friends. You're going to see backsliders. You're going to see people Uh, They got pregnant out of wedlock. You're going to see people that got a divorce. You're going to see people that are back on drugs. You're going to see all kinds of people that uh, got bit out of shape over racism. I mean, everything that just kind of shook us and changed us and kind of changed the scenery of our life, it really shook a lot of people's faith. It's like they're Thomas. I don't believe it anymore. I can't see it. I can't touch it. I miss the things, the way things used to be. I want my Jesus back. I want to go back before the cross. I want to go back before the grave. I want to go back before the resurrection. I just want to follow him from town to town and see the blinded eyes open, the deaf ears open, the mute speak, the devil's cast out. Well, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to give his life. That is the reason he came. And Thomas had to make his peace with that. You know what? COVID-19 came for a purpose. And it was to fulfill what Jesus said all along. That when you begin to see things like wars and hear about rumors of wars and hear about earthquakes in various places and read about pestilences, that's right, and read about famines and hear about people with crazy Messiah complexes, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. I mean, is that a time to give up on God? No, it's time to look up for your hit, for your redemption draws nigh. Your pastor had to change the schedule. Is that time to become weighed down with carousing and forget about your walk with God? No, it's that means take heed to yourself. We didn't ask for this. We didn't pray for this. We didn't plan on this. But Jesus said it would come, and it came. And here we are. And you're going to have to adjust adjust with it. Take some advice from Justin. Just adjust with it. Come on. Don't be discouraged. Don't be an unbeliever. Don't be a doubter. Just because some other people can, and you feel like you can't, you have to learn to adapt. It's as it were. we. Some of us have never... Climbed a huge mountain. Well, we're climbing it now. Some of us have never been whitewater rafting. Well, we're in the boat now. <laughs> we're trying to make it. Just remember, Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's still with us during COVID 19. You think God has left? You think because now you don't have a 9.30 a.m. prayer, a 10 a.m. class time, an 11 a.m. worship service, a 6 p.m. that, a this and a that, and now it's just Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Wear a mask, wash your hands, uh, keep social distancing. Do you think all of a sudden now God's not here? Uh Oh, you are deceived. Oh, you are deceived. That's right. The master deceiver, Satan himself, He is lurking around every corner. That's right. It's about revival. It is about the mission. It's not about the buffet. It's not about shake your hair down. It is about the mission to go forth and to make disciples. And I get it. It's easy to doubt what you cannot see and what you cannot feel. You know what you got to do? You, you should do what Thomas should have done. Trust the witness of others. And I have gotten a glimpse into the future. Those who remain. Those who stay faithful. Those who are steadfast. Great is your reward in heaven. Some of us, when we saw COVID-19, whoa, it made us repent. <laughs> it made us confess our wicked ways. Some people inside, it. oh, it's time. It's time to go back to the world. God's not real. <sighs> How foolish you are. How foolish you are. I can feel it right now. You're listening to this podcast and you're getting offended because you want things your way. You think you're smarter than your pastor, you think you're greater than your music director. Oh, a curse is going to come upon you. You have got to remain humble. Can I tell you this? Life is like grass. Probably some of you have started mowing your grass. I mean, it grows and it's cut, pff, gone. Life is like a vapor. You probably put hairspray in your hair. Whenever you go, ps, that's your life. Just ps. it's a vapor. That's what the Bible says. It goes by so quick. I mean, when you go, you go, and then eternity is forever, Why not focus on the good things that are forever? And that is sticking with God, sticking with Bible, and sticking with your church. That's right. But if you are really like Thomas, and you really have it in your spirit, I won't believe until I see. I won't accept it until I touch. Well, may the Lord let you see and touch. I'm serious. A lot of people that say that, I won't believe unless I get to, they... They're lying. It could be right there in front of their face and they still won't believe it. They're just full of doubt. They're just full of unbelief. They're full of carnality. No faith, no trust. It's really hypocrisy. And they're full of sin. But there are some people out there that really believe no revival is coming. This is it. Oh, If you really have it in your spirit, that if you can just get a glimpse of the future of revival... May the Lord help you to see it. May the Lord help you to experience it. Something tangible. Something real. God's hand is upon his church. He is going to bring us through. I'm Justin C. Gleason, and I'm really wound up. Joining us now, Brendan and Jayla Cribs, the hosts of the Sustaining Life podcast, available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. Check the episode notes for their pod links, social media, and other information, specifically their brand new website. It is absolutely beautiful. Their content includes biblical solutions to anxiety, hurt, depression, loneliness, suffering, and other various forms of psychological stress and pain. Next month is May. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and the Cribs are here to speak to us, words that will bring us balance, control, love, hope, faith, and peace to our minds and hearts. Brother Brendan, Sister Jayla, thanks for being with me. How are you all doing this evening?
1: We're doing good. It's been a really busy week. Uh, But I am here (laughs) and um, I'm really, really excited about this podcast.
2: Absolutely. Hey, guys, uh, just an honor to be on the podcast today. We're excited to talk about things that can really hopefully benefit you all. And uh, we're thanking Brother Gleason for having us on.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I love your podcast. It it really has touched my heart. Some of the content that you all have brought uh, has lifted me up. It has truly lifted me up because, you know, podcasting is the way I sort of disconnect from the world. That's it's, uh, how I do it. I don't really go too many places now. I'm kind of, I wouldn't say stuck, but I, I just feel ultra committed and I don't, I don't want to go anywhere. I feel like if I go somewhere, things will fall apart. So I escape on sustaining life <laughs> and it's a beautiful place. It really is. So uh, I, I just really want to talk to you all tonight about the content that you present uh, sustaining life is a very, very nice, nice title, and it's one of those titles. There's a deep meaning. Can you explain to us what the uh, deep messages behind the title of your podcast, "Sustaining Life"?
2: Absolutely. Well, you know what comes to my mind initially is is a statement that says that which keeps me. You know, sustaining life. The reason that we we really felt that is because you know there's nothing better. Then having a relationship with Jesus and knowing what we get from it, mm. you know, it keeps me grounded. It keeps me level-headed. It keeps me at peace and joy. And sustaining life, is, it's, a, it's fundamental truths that don't change. Regardless of circumstance, regardless of what we go through or how we feel, it keeps me. And we know where to get those things that keep us. And it feeds me and makes sure that I have whatever I need to really just sustain me and keep me in life.
1: Yeah, I mean thought about when, you know, we were like, okay, we need to find a name for this podcast. Like, and we went through several names. And one day, um, Brenda's like, let's just call it this for now. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then I thought about it. Like that day, I was like, Brendan, do you realize how perfect this is for the podcast? And every single thing that he just listed, like we prayed about, like we prayed about the name of the podcast because mm. I'm in marketing, first of all. And I obviously believe a name means something to people and we really want it to be encouraging. And so it's really about, like you said before, getting those biblical principles and then applying them practically to our daily lives, because that is a struggle that we have as Christians. Uh, We just struggle with that daily. We sometimes like to go to church and we will worship and praise and then come the next week. It's really hard. It's really hard to apply what we heard on Sunday.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm
0: Uh, you all have, have done some work on pain, some stuff on pain. And, you know, when I think of pain, I think, oh, no, you know, but you guys have the message kind of like the no pain, no gain. You know, pain really forges strength. A, a little taste of defeat can create a champion, right? And how do you all see in in the Christian life pain motivating an individual's potential to really do something for God. And when I talk about pain, you know, it could, be, it could be anything, whatever, you know, comes to your spirit, but somebody who's just gone through a horrible breakup or an engagement was called off or even a divorce or a strange family or just extreme rejection, uh, emotional pain, physical pain. How can these things motivate us to really strengthen our potential to do something for God?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I think about immediately when I think about pain and I've seen other people's lives and in my own, you know, pain is, 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 it's a disruptor. It disrupts order. It disrupts our schedule, our, our thought process, just how we function in general. It adjusts everything. When we're feeling pain, it can be hard to operate at a functional level. It can be difficult to just think clearly And pain exposes, you know, it requires a decision. It just has to be made. When we are dealing with something, we have to say, okay, are we going to go left? Are we going to go right? Are we going to choose to be bitter? Or we choose to forgive, choose to love, you know? But if with pain, you know, if our decision is founded and it's focused on God and His ways, His will, He's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. He's going to breathe that proper inspiration into our choices. And if we allow God to have that control and, but it's about giving God that control and pain is one of the most difficult things I've found to relinquish control of. Mm. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to let the walls down to let someone in. It's so guarded. You know what I mean? It's it's such a vulnerable place in our life. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants those vulnerable places so he can work within the depths of our heart. Because pain is, is one of the, it's one of the deep places, you know, I, I don't yes. super, super, super vulnerable with many people, but those who I'm vulnerable with, I trust. And there's something that can happen there. You know, God will do a work in us oftentimes really that's based on the depth of our heart that we give to him. And unless we, we allow him to have those secret places and those traumatic places, and even at times like fearful places, um, that can be that great catalyst that says, you know what? God says, you have given this peace to me and I'm going to honor your sacrifice. I'm going to honor this mess that you've given me. And because you trust in me that much, I'm going to use it to minister to someone else and use it as a testimony to someone else in the future. And it's often a true sacrifice. I found that's, that's given from a heart.
0: Mm. Oh, that's good. Sister Jayla, what do you think?
1: Well, I would say as a woman, (laughs) because we have problems with communicating our pain to people. Um, And especially in the church, we like to compare ourselves to people and that is often with, Okay, let's shield our pain like no one can know what I'm going through. They can't know that I'm struggling, you know, with my kids behavior at this moment or I'm struggling with my attitude or maybe I'm just you just struggling mentally. And myself growing up in church, I've seen women who will put on that face and I'm like, oh, nothing's going wrong with them. Nothing. But there's something powerful about being transparent at times with that pain. I have found that when I go to conferences or when someone is just talking to me one-on-one, I start to find healing when that person gives me part of their pain. I find wow. freedom and liberty because I can relate not just on a spiritual level, but on a practical one. And I can relate to how they're feeling. And I and oftentimes, I mean, you give them encouragement, encouragement, and they give you encouragement. So I think, obviously, as men and women, there's, you know, pain. We definitely need to give that up to God. But I think as a woman, I think it's something we need to be aware of about ourselves, that we need to expose ourselves at times.
2: Oh, that's tremendous. Brother Gleason, can I add something there? Please, absolutely. Um, You know, something that when she was talking, it it made me maybe think about, um, you know, in church, I think. In general, a lot of people are really good about giving their testimony about themselves, like coming to God. You know, when God found me, I was this or I was this mess and I I was doing these horrible things. And it's good. Like we need those testimonies of coming to God moments. And that really ministers to the person who may not know God or who may be struggling with their decision whether or not to choose God. But at the same time, you know, I think there's something powerful about a testimony that reaches the heart of a Christian who's been struggling for a long time and who struggles in their walk with God, because we all struggle at times. There's something, those are, there are testimonies that need to be spoken about, about when somebody has been living for God for years and they go through such pain and hardship. And they talk about the the pain after they live for God, because um, Mm. it can be such a powerful tool and resource to say, Hey, you're living for God and you're having a hard time. Here are the steps to walk through that. Here are how God can deepen your walk with God while going through the trials when you're honoring and living for him. You get what I'm saying there? I do. There's a tremendous testimony when coming to God, but there's something powerful that can minister to somebody who's been living for God for a long time, that's saint, that's struggling and doesn't know how how to get to that next point. It can be a blessing to children. It can be a blessing to young people. And to the seasoned saint, hearing about struggles and overcoming while we're living for God.
0: Wow. I like it. I feel hope. Yeah. I've, I feel hope. I think pain precedes a great power, a, a great opportunity to be used uh, of the Lord. It's because people relate to it. You know, people relate to it. They know when somebody's been through something. And it really is following the footsteps of the Lord who was acquainted with sufferings. you right. know there's only only certain aspects of fellowship with the Lord that you can know about through pain. You all have also done some great great conversations on restoration. when I think of restoration as a biblical word i I liken it to you know a mechanic who takes an old car that's just wore down maybe from the forties or fifties and he just restores that and it becomes a relic a a classic and I just kind of see how that's what God does with lives and people that are that are broken and feel like they can't even function you know can't even you know make it in this life and I know you all have talked about that and prayed with people about that and what are some ways that you think people can you know, get on the path to being restored because there's a lot of people get a great running start in ministry and burn out or right. it just, you know, life happens and you get the rug pulled out from underneath you. Uh, what are some ways to be able to get back, you know, to being restored to, you know, things the way things once were for people?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we have a few verses. Um that we, we really uh, spoke to us about it, and the first verse, of course, is, is the coming to Jesus moment. It's the Romans seven fourteen. It says, "For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin." So, of course, we have to become free to law of sin, and that only comes through repentance, you know, and the Holy Ghost, which makes us a new creature um, that's restored in Jesus. But two specific verses that really speak to me in terms of you know restoration. First is, you know, James chapter five, um, verses sixteen through eighteen. And the first part of that says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then it goes on to say, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it availeth much. Um, you know, confessing faults is powerful and scary. (laughs) Like it's scary to talk about like, Hey, I'm struggling with this man. I'm having a hard time with my, with my temper. I'm having a hard time with my stress. You don't want to tell your your Christian brother or Christian minister, Hey, you know, it's, it it can be a fearful thing to think, okay, what do they think of me? Um, And we, we struggle with that in church, the pressure to be perfect, you know, the the pressure to be um, untouchable. But I think a lot of people are shocked when they find If you have those people in your life, those good peers that love you and love God and really follow the word of God, you know, when you mention I'm struggling, they're not going to think judgment at all. They're going to think, hey, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Let's let's work on this together. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. And when you have somebody walking with you hand in hand and saying, okay, let's let's do this together, um, there's a power of unity there. And the Bible talks about unity, that unity is something that is one of the most powerful tools that a church body or body in general can have. Um, We don't always know the answers, but if we go to the body of Christ, we can know that maybe that piece of the body has that answer for me that can minister to me and can restore me. And if I can just adjust my mindset and renew my mind using the Word of God, um, and be that living sacrifice unto God, God can restore me. God can bring what I don't have hope in. He can put hope there. He can put joy there. But it's about it's about really stepping and being vulnerable and being allowing God to work there. Yeah,
1: I think you know, restoration is such a powerful word. It has so many layers to it. Um, I know. And with Paul writings, you know, throughout the Bible, he talks about how, you know, we are a slave to sin. And I feel like that's a very important part that we need to realize. Uh, we can't be in denial that we, that our flesh doesn't like sin, that we don't turn to sin. I think we need to be completely aware that we are a slave to sin, but it's through God that we have restoration. I mean, in Romans 8, Romans 12, um, 1 Corinthians, it talks about how, in order to be restored, there has to be an inner transformation that has to take place in the mind. And yes. we sometimes forget about that. Mm. We think it's all in the outside. But it talks about how because of that inner transformation, it leads to a change in understanding yourself and God. And it leads to a change in understanding godly behavior. Um, so we can't be in denial of what we want, which is the flesh. And we got to realize that we got to take the steps to, to become restored.
2: Yeah. It's Absolutely. So intentional. It's an intentional thing. It really is.
0: Excellent. That's great. I've heard people say this. I hear voices in my head and, and I know you guys have done an episode on this and sometimes that is real and where it's a, a clinical mental illness. And if you know you you have that we do recommend that you get professional help but not everybody that feels like they have voices in their head is clinically insane would you all agree with that
2: Very true. definitely definitely yeah
0: it's what i call audible thoughts audible thoughts that cause confusion you know this is common and you hear that you hear that a lot in song lyrics even uh, christian praise and worship music i hear i can't get the thoughts out of my head and people say that. And, um, I know you all have, you know, talked a lot about this and I, I really don't even know how to ask the question, but <laughs> I guess I'll just ask it. How to, how do we get the thoughts to stop? You know, thoughts that we shouldn't have. I. Right, that's
1: a good, that's a good question. I mean, we have, uh, we've all suffered from these thoughts, you know, not the clinical ones, but just thoughts and, the question is, how do we get them out of, the, out of our heads? And I think the first step that we need to do is boundaries. Oh, that's a powerful <laughs> word right there. We don't it's have time to word. go into that word. Um, but boundaries, it is amazing what your mind won't think of when it's not in front of you.
2: Yeah, that's for sure.
1: But once you put it in front of you, you just open a door to a lot of other doors that won't lead you towards God.
2: A lot of other voices.
1: Uh, Yes. A lot (laughs) of other voices. Mm. And sometimes the voices that come in our head, you know, that are not of God, they're not all of our faults. You know, we drive down the road, we see a bunch of things before us, but it takes discipline to push them out of our head.
2: That's another hard word. Discipline. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's one that we like to avoid, right? We don't want, we don't want to have discipline Mm. in the church. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Well, I mean, I, it's, you know, so those boundaries and discipline are so important. You know, one of the best things you can possibly do to, to really protect your mind and, and kind of get those thoughts. Um, and I'll, I'll say it this way, get those thoughts submitted is to stay submitted. <laughs> you got to be submitted. When you're submitted, you follow the vision, you follow the goals and, and the mindsets of what you're submitted to. So if you're submitted to God, you're submitted to the word of God and you're submitted to the pastor and other leaders in your life, you're going to be protected because what they'll say and what they'll preach, what they'll communicate, you're going to you're going to want to do those things. Uh it's you got to pray pray and plead the blood over your mind too. The name of Jesus over your mind because like Jayla said, you know, there's all sorts of things in this world that's going to tempt us and smack us in the head say, "Hey, look at this, check this out, think about this." But You know, make your your thoughts accountable to specific people in your life. Make your thoughts accountable to the word of God and talk to God about those thoughts you have, those insecurities and worries and things that you have trouble speaking about. Talk to God about it. And God can can speak about it. God can address it. God can handle it. Um, But we have to bring those things into obedience and stay submitted. And like we just already mentioned, boundaries are so important.
1: Yeah, And don't play around with the pleasures of this world. Yeah, You know, don't play around with the stuff that's not going to
2: mm.
1: beneficial to you. I know in Deuteronomy 18, 18, I think it's nine, the verses nine through 14, it's talking about when um, given instruction, it says, when you come into the land that your Lord has is given you, it talks about don't follow after the practices of the nations. So like sorcery and, you know, a charmer or a medium, it says, don't do these things. And it says, because... Of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. That is so powerful.
0: Yeah, it is. It
1: says because of these abominations, they are in front of you. We live in the world today. There's nothing we can do about it. But it literally says God is driving them out away from you. So if it's in front of you, that is not of God. And that wasn't God who put them there. Yeah. And that's also a good re- you know thing to realize. Yeah.
2: And I know we kind of don't want to talk too much, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do want to add one more thing here, just as a staple of of voices, you know, simply put what we focus on, that's, that becomes what we have a relationship with.
0: Absolutely. I want to repeat this back to our listeners. The solution to voices in your head, the brother, brother and sister crib solutions for voices in your head, boundaries, discipline, submit, don't play and focus. Yeah. Seems simple enough right there.
2: (laughs) That was not what I was expecting,
0: but I, man, that makes sense. Absolutely. Oh, that's good stuff. And I, in all those words, that's all biblical principles, right? there. just doing those simple things, adding that into the mix of your life that'll really help, you know, uh, your thought life. Oh, that's good. Let's talk about hardships. I meet people that aren't bitter at their parents, not bitter at their spouse, not bitter at their siblings, not even bitter at really anybody,
2: but right. they're just
0: bitter at life, life, the life that we live. And, you know, life is it's just hard, right. no, no matter how you live. You have to choose your heart. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Being employed is hard. Unemployed is hard. No matter where you are, everything is hard. And you know, and people think, oh, when I get baptized to get filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, my life's just going to get better. I'm never going to have any problems.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would have been amazing. That would have been
0: great. (laughs) Yeah, it would have. But us, us spiritual heaven-bound people, uh, we experience life. And what are some ways that you guys think we can? that people can help make peace with the overall life experience?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I think one of the biggest keys, honestly, is thankfulness. Like if if we can just stay thankful for what God has done and what God is doing and know that he has a plan for us, you know, life is difficult. Yeah. It's going to be hard. And God doesn't enjoy like watching us go through pain, but he walks through us with us through that pain. Like he feels that pain just like we do. He Mm -hmm. empathizes and feels that sorrow just like we do. But we have to remember that he's working if we let him. And he creates a purpose out of things that don't seem to have any purpose. Even though we don't see the purpose or plan or what God can do in it, is if we just trust him and thank him. Like thank him for the good times, thank him for the bad times, thank him for the blessings and thank him for the opportunities that God can work in we'll be okay if we just stay thankful and stay t- true to the word of God. Uh, cause that's what's going to keep us when those circumstances are just difficult.
1: Yeah. I mm. had somebody on our podcast a while back and she went through a miscarriage and it was um, very hard for her. And yeah. it's amazing though, cause she is one of the most best family practitioners out there today. It's so amazing <laughs> what pain, what God can do with the pain that comes into our lives. But The fact is, is she told us, she's like, you know, it was hard. She's like, but it would have been harder without God. Yeah. She's like, it would have been a lot harder. And here's the thing. We will go through things and like, like everyone's been saying on here, it's going to be hard, but you want to have something to lean on and it, it, it shouldn't be entertainment. It shouldn't be, you know, just socializing. Not that all those things are bad in itself, but. You should rely on the rock, which is God.
2: Which yeah. is Jesus. Well, like with hardships too. I know, I know a message is often preached is, you know, God's going to bless you through this. God's going to bless you through this. He's going to, you know, pour out blessings upon your life, which he does. He does. But also I think another thing that we should be expecting and desiring and thankful for is if God can just simply use this hardship to bless someone else, that's good enough for me. Okay. If you can just use this, use me as a minister and as a testimony, when somebody else watches me go through hardship and I praise God and thank God through that, if that can bless them, that's good enough for me. And we as Christians sometimes get a little selfish with our blessings. (laughs) We get selfish with how much we want God to pour out how much we think we deserve. But God, if you can just use me, the, the Bible says, Isaiah, he says, here I am, Lord, send me. And we don't always get to choose how we're sent, but if we can be sent in a way, just as an example, that's good enough for me.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Fear is a big deal and fear doesn't just simply go away. And right now with our, our generation, our climate, our time, I mean, you just look, open up any news source. What do you see? Wars, rumors of wars, commotion, famines, pestilence, earthquake, people with messiah complexes. I mean, you just—I mean, the Bible says men's hearts would be failing them for fear because of all the things that they see. And I mean, the world's a mess. Yeah, it is. It's a mess. What do you all recommend? How how we can just muster up strength and? you know, put the those feelings of confidence and really being brave, you know, to live our lives and to do something for God and be ready for his return?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first thing I would do is I'd verbalize it. I'd talk to God and say, you know what, I am struggling with this fear. My mind is, is in disarray. I am struggling about this fear, this fear, you know, yada, 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 et cetera. But specify it to God. God answers specific prayers. It's biblical where Amen. you know, make your make your struggles and your worries known to him.
1: And I think even on a practical aspect, get a journal. There's something powerful about writing down what you, what you fear. Yeah. And then say, in the name of Jesus, I bind that right now. There is something so powerful about that. And it's a combination of, you know, just mental health and spiritual discipline. That's what this combination of how do we cast out fear? We do it through God. We do it through the Lord, but write it down in a journal. If this is, if there's something that's really big, that's really bothering you, write it down. Uh, Remind yourself about the goodness and mercy of, of God.
2: Yeah. Compare it, you know, compare your thoughts with what the word of God says about your thoughts. And that can tell you what you're thinking and where you're, where kind of you're going. And then of course, you'll want to learn and understand what type of fear you're facing. And then look to the Bible as to why that fear may be there. What's the enemy's purpose and their attack against you? Look at stories like David and Goliath. You know, Goliath, he wanted to cause fear. That was a type of fear. Uh, Jezebel and Elijah, that was a type of fear that was inflicted upon Elijah. Uh, look at Moses. He was afraid to speak to Pharaoh. And you look at Jesus and the cross that he faced, mm. he faced a moment of fear, but there was a purpose in all of those different attempts look at the of outcomes. fear. Yeah, exactly. Mm. The outcome makes all the difference and look at your situation. I promise you there's a biblical principle in there that will show you, here's your direction, here's your roadmap and here's what the enemy wants to do, but here's what I want to do instead of the enemy beating you. Yeah.
0: Lastly, let's talk about transition. And I know you all have done this. you all have lived through this. And very rarely does somebody just, you know, get into one church and stay in that church the rest of their life. Right. Especially when you have a call of God, you're, you know, we don't promote church hopping, but we promote being led of the Lord. You know, you look at the apostles, they went many places. Jesus went many places. The prophets went many places. You know, God kind of changes our ministries from time to time. It's real. It happens to Everybody. Um, how do you know God is changing your ministry and what are things you can do to kind of prepare for that?
2: Yeah. Well, two, two of my favorite verses, um, and two of my favorite verses that have like really meant a lot to me, especially as I started my relationship with God, um, was Psalms 26 and two, examine me, O Lord, and prove me, try my reins and my heart, in Jeremiah 17, 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Um, That's number one for me. You know, where does your heart lie at? And what does God, what can God do with your heart? Like, where is, how far are you willing to go? What stretching is he doing in your life? Um, I find with transition that God tends to put you in uncomfortable and unfamiliar places and situations um, when he's yeah, he does. working on changing you. You know, if you keep battling the same fight over and over and over again, oftentimes God is wanting you to learn a specific lesson or overcome a specific struggle. But a lesson about that is until you learn that lesson, until you beat whatever God is allowing you to go through, um, only then does God bring that promotion. a new placement spiritually in your life it's he's wanting to hammer out or put specific things and tools in your heart and mind to say okay i need you to understand these things before i put you to a new place uh, so that you can be a witness to new people uh, to a greater place or to a wider place um god's always stretching our heart when you find you're, you're you're being stretched (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know you're being stretched. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, that's that's mm. when God's really moving you is when He's stretching you. You're trying to figure out why are you doing this, God? <laughs> why are you allowing this to happen? I mean, mm. it's,
1: I will be honest, transition is not easy. No. It's really Mm-mm. hard. Um, especially mentally and physically, it will take a toll on your body. You yeah. won't you won't think right. it will, but it does. It really yeah. does. Um I know you know, when God's transitioning is when I feel like I'm walking in the unknown sometimes, you know, and I'm like, God, why am I here? Why? And sometimes it's like, God, why are you? Sometimes it feels like a force, but God gently pushing you to learn new skills or gently pushing you to witness in a way you never have witnessed before. And it definitely, I feel like it may take some time for some people to be Aware of what's truly happening at the moment. But when you are aware of it, you are aware of it. And you know that God's about to move something in your life. Um, very quickly, one verse that I have just loved, like all the way through my childhood, is Matthew 7 7, very popular verse, but it talks about how ask and it shall be given, given you. And I really want to focus on this next part part. It talks about seek. You know, when you realize that you're in this transition, you need to seek, you need to pray, you need to search, you need to talk to your um, spiritual mentors, talk to your pastor. And it says, God God says, and you will find. He doesn't say you will not find. He said you will find. And that is just such a powerful verse for me. And, and it really has gotten me through a lot of hard things.
2: Yeah. Well, and then with transition, um, you know, and not it's not a popular thing to say but you need to know when to like hit the ground running like really push 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 but you also need to know that there are times when you need to rest a little bit spiritually you know um kind of restore yourself a little bit physically and mentally kind of refresh your mind refresh your body because if if you're worn out spiritually emotionally and physically you're not going to be helpful to somebody you need to get that rest too and with transition you're you're constantly being kind of pushed and stretched. It's okay to take that rest to make sure that you're thinking the right way so that when God does put you in that place that God is transitioning to you, you're not worn down and burnt out from the battle of being transitioned.
0: Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, Brendan and Jayla Cribs, the hosts of the Sustaining Life podcast. I want to go back and look at some of the details that the Bible records about Thomas doubting. The Bible says that Thomas was not there present when the Lord appeared to the apostles after his resurrection. He comes back and he says, I will not believe unless I see and unless I feel. The Bible specifically says in John chapter 20, after eight days, the Lord appeared. And he said, Thomas, see and touch. And he was able to touch his nail-scarred hands. He was able to touch his pierced side. He was able to look upon the face of his Lord. And he falls down and says, my Lord, my God. You know why Jesus did that? Well, a lot of it had to do with just the relationship that he had with him. I mean, you look in, in uh, John chapter 11, Thomas, he said, uh, let us go also that we may die with him. You know, Jesus was threatened by the Jews. They were threatening him with uh, being stoned. And Thomas said, I'm I'm willing to die for the Lord. And I think he meant it. In that moment, in that time, he meant it. Right? You look in John chapter uh, fourteen. You know, Thomas said, "Lord, we do not know where you you are going. How can we know the way?" That's when Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." Thomas would later ask the Lord, "Show us the Father." I mean, Thomas made good statements, and he had really good questions. He had a deep relationship with Jesus. So there's reasons that the Lord appeared to him, but I think ultimately Thomas meant what he said. If I see it and feel it, I will believe it. That is very rare. I think most people out there, when they say that, I'll believe it if I see it. No, they won't. It's already there. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Now, around here, you know I believe in signs. You know I believe in spiritual things. This is the spirit signal. But something far greater than signs is just simply the word of God. If Jesus said it, believe it. If Jesus declared it, make a decision that that is what you are going to stick with. You don't need a sign from heaven for you to be baptized in Jesus' name. The Bible says, be baptized, so therefore you should do it. You don't need a big confirmation through a supernatural dream or a big vision that you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit by the sign of speaking in other tongues. The Bible says these signs will come to them. Well, the Bible says it, so therefore believe it. You know, you don't need a sign uh, concerning the return of the Lord. Jesus said, I am coming back. Yeah, the signs are great, but Jesus said, I'm coming back. You, you just rely on the word of the Lord. And Jesus said to his followers, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. There was really no reason for Thomas to not believe it. He should have believed the witness of his, his brothers, the apostles. But even more so, he should have believed it because Jesus said it would happen. But because he was true in his statement unless i see unless i feel i'm not going to believe and it was true and if you have that heart that attitude yes the lord will help you with a sign but i want to look at something deeper why did jesus go away for 8 days and then appear to simon or appear to thomas 8 days there is something really i think deep about that let me tell you if for those of you that preach and teach Do you want to distinguish yourself? Do you want to be extraordinary? You've got to look at details that nobody else does. You've got to talk about things that are in the word of God that nobody else takes time to study and to articulate. And you've got to learn how to interpret it and apply it in a way, ways that nobody else does. That's what really uh, separates the elite from the common. That's right. And I'm going to give you some insight into things that I saw and I studied out Regarding these eight days, one of my favorite Bible study tools is a concordance. That's right. Not these big commentaries, not these big study resources. And I use them here and there, but really a concordance is the great, it is the greatest thing. I looked up eight days and I think I've discovered the connection to why Jesus, it took him, he was gone for eight days. You see eight days a lot when it comes to cleansing, consecrating, and rededicating. That's what you see eight days associated with. I'm just going to give you some examples. For a leper to be cleansed, it took eight days. Seven days of isolation would come on the eighth day, and the priest would declare them clean or not, Leviticus 14. A bodily discharge... I'm not going to explain what that means. You should know by now what that means. It took eight days, eight days, Leviticus 15, to be declared clean. You look at the consecration of Aaron, the Levites, the priesthood, Aaron and his sons, they were consecrated on the eighth day, eighth day, Leviticus chapter eight. You look at the temple, the temple, this is where the real focus is, the temple Solomon dedicated the temple for seven days, and on the eighth day, it was an official thing. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Zerubbabel, the rebuilding, the rededicating of the temple on the eighth day. Second Chronicles 29. Ezekiel's future messianic temple. It was dedicated on the eighth day. Ezekiel 43. Uh, between the book of Malachi and Matthew, the intertestamental period. The uh, Jews were in a great war for their, for their land and their temple against the Greeks. The Maccabeans, the leaders the Maccabeans, uh, led an army against the Greeks, took back their temple. Guess how many days it took for it to be cleansed? Eight days. All right? So in Hebrews 9, it says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So let me break this down for you. At some point in time, Jesus went into the heavens and cleansed heaven. He purified heaven. Now you look at all these passages leading up to it. Temples are cleansed in eight days. Lepers are cleansed in eight days. Discharges, anything that's been desecrated, it is cleansed in eight days. And the Bible says in Hebrews, New Testament, Jesus cleansed heaven. I know what you're thinking. What? Heaven had to be cleansed? What defiled heaven? I thought heaven was supposed to be beautiful. I thought it was supposed to be perfect. Mm. Well, heaven was created perfect. Everything was pure. The temple that's in heaven certainly is. That's right. There is a temple in heaven, you know. I mean, look at what it says in Hebrews and Exodus. That temple, that tabernacle that Moses built, that Solomon built, that was not an Old Testament thing. You know what? That was a heavenly thing. The temple on the earth was a copy of what was in heaven. And you look in Revelation. What does John see? Heaven opens up and he sees the altar. He sees the ark. He sees the temple. He sees the original temple. The temple in heaven is the original, and the temples made here on the earth were copies of those things. And it says in Hebrews 9 that the heavenly temple, the original, that the temples of the earth were copied from, they needed to be purified. Well, what happened to defile the temple in heaven? You know know who I think did it? Satan. That's right. It says in Job 15, the heavens are not clean in his sight. You know what I think happened? Long ago, long ago, Lucifer, the son of the morning, the anointed cherub that Isaiah and Ezekiel wrote about, wanted to ascend up higher. He wanted to exceed the calling of God on his life. He wanted greater. He wanted more power. He wanted more influence. And he tried to go up higher and greater. Wanted to be used more. Wanted to be seen more. And God said, no, you have been brought down and you are cursed forever. That's right. And, you know, you see that going on right now. Matter of fact, you know, people, they get a little solo and they think, oh, I should be leading the choir now. I got a solo. I I, I deserve to be the worship leader. You know, you, your youth pastor gives a, some 17-year-old schmuck a little time to test on and He gets up there and totally bombs and drops a watermelon. But in his mind, it was the greatest thing ever preached. And he thinks, oh, I should be youth pastor now. <laughs> and he has to get sat down. Uh, you just see this happen in, in churches. Somebody gets a little opportunity to be seen in the pulpit or get the microphone. All of a sudden, oh, I'm great. Oh, I'm powerful. And they want to be greater. And they think it's, I'm called. It's my calling. It's my anointing. And the pastor says, uh, nope, N- 90 seconds is all I wanted from you. And you went 90 minutes. <laughs> and he sits them down. They get offended. They get hurt. And next thing I know, they church hop and they go to another church and they sob and cry. And and you know, the guy's wife is sobbing in the arms of the pastor's wife. They hurt us. (laughs) They were so mean to us. They didn't believe in our ministry. They didn't believe in our calling. You know, and and the guy (laughs) and the guys there just sobbing, you know. And the and you know, and some pastors are just I think oblivious to this and they can't see through it all. Let me tell you something. Jesus said, you will know men by their fruits. And if you got a couple coming to your church and in the last three years, they've gone to nine different churches in your section and they come in saying, people don't believe in our ministry. Uh, You need to look at their fruits. Church hopping is bad fruit. Getting offended and hurt is bad fruit. And I wouldn't be promoting that. And I wouldn't be schmoozing that. But I think you need to teach people some basic principles. Hey, you really think you're great? Don't you think you're great and desecrate this temple? Oh, defile it with the attitude of Satan that I'm just powerful and awesome. And COVID 19 has done that to people. I told you, schedules have changed, people aren't getting used as much as they used to. Pastors have really had to take control because we don't know what in God's name you're going to get up there and say! Or get up there and do! (gasps) I'm telling you, Jesus had to cleanse the temple, and I think some of us are going to have to cleanse the church building itself with some of the attitude we have gotten over COVID-19. And not only that, uh, with all of the uh, racial commotion in our culture. I mean, some of the things that people have said and done, it has just been an absolute disgrace to God, to his church, to the word, all of that. So I think that's what Jesus did. He was up there cleaning the temple, getting it prepared. He said he he would go to prepare a place for us. That's right. You know, God created the world in six days and seventh day he rested. Then the eighth day, you know, we're still kind of in that eighth day of the Lord. I think that's that might have been what Jesus was also doing. He went to prepare a place for us. He prepared, he's, he prepared heaven for us, prepared heaven for us for a week, and then on the eighth day, he came back. That's what he was doing. And I think we're here, right there. I think a lot of us, our churches, there just needs to be a good old-fashioned sanctification ceremony. We need to get our spirits right if we're going to move forward. We need to get our hearts and our attitudes right if we are going To move forward. So stop trying to ascend like Satan. Stop trying to be great. Why don't you be a servant? That's right. You want to be exalted? Humble yourself. You want to go far? Be a servant. Let God promote you. Let your pastor promote you. Let your youth pastor promote you. Let your worship leader promote you. Stop church hopping. I'm Justin C. Gleason. Long live the podheads! Yeah, it's the spirit signal with Justin Gleason.